when we experience God's life and when we share it with one another, when we're these fruitful vines and in the world and we're just bringing life to the world through the living God, it drives the devil mad. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. Well, my wife, Amberly, and I have different philosophies of packing when it comes to going on a trip. So don't ask for a show of hands, but chances are uh, in your family of origin or in your current family, uh, there were different philosophies on packing as well. And so this is uh, even magnified when we're packing to go on a like a wilderness trip where we have to take all of our food with us. Uh, because I'm from the school that, like, if you have room for it, you might as well stuff some more stuff in there. An extra flashlight, some extra batteries, some extra food, some extra water. I mean, let's just put, let's fill the thing up. I mean, there's no use having empty space in your bag. I mean, what's a few extra pounds? You know, once you're out there anyways, I'd rather carry a little extra than be hungry. So, and Amberly is just more precise. She's like, well, no, you know, I don't need that. I'd rather carry less weight. Let's just go minimalist and, you know, I'll be a little hungry if I have to, but it should be okay. Let's not look at the worst case scenario, Ryan, for once in your life, you know, when you're planning to go on a trip. And so the, the chronic question for me when I'm packing is always, is this enough? Is this enough? Is what I'm taking on this trip enough? Do I have enough spare tires? Do I have enough tools? Do I have enough on any trip that I'm going on? My kids are like, Dad, we're just like driving to Abilene. We don't have to have, you know, <laughs> all the stuff. But underneath those questions for me are the nagging questions of the soul. Have I done enough with my resources, with my life? Have I been enough? Have I loved enough? This Lenten season, we're going to explore the theme of Jesus Christ as enough. And we borrow this from St. Paul. We borrow this from all throughout the scriptures where we're begged to consider God as sufficient. And Christ is enough does not mean that the everyday things of life are unimportant. Rather, it's simply the way that we go about the everyday things of life. And we just saying, seek first the kingdom of God and all God's righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto us as well. We have to start in the right place for that whole as well to come together. So this is the hope of these 40 days, that Jesus would be enough. Enough for you, enough for me, enough for the church, enough. Today's scripture passage reminds us that for Jesus to be all-sufficient or for Jesus to be enough, we will have to join Jesus in the wilderness and behold as he quiets the voice of the devil. We will have to face temptations because the wilderness, the scriptures remind us, is really the place where we will discover if Jesus is enough. And just a quick rewind to remind us of the cards that we've been dealt as human beings. And we all start out in the same place. We were all created gloriously in the image of God. But we all inherit Adam's sin, right? Sin came into the world through Adam. 
And we all, none of us get to avoid that. Uh, we, we see that, we talk about it, we laugh about it with our kids. Like no one has to teach them to take stuff away from their siblings, right? I just we, we have an internal, <laughs> inherent bent towards sin. Uh, there was the creation of the world. There was creation of humanity. We were placed in a garden in a good place. God introduced the concept of law to us. You know, if you live and do this, there's all this life for you. But just watch out for this thing and introduce the, the glory of free will where we could choose, where God wanted us to enter into a relationship with him that was based on choice, where we chose freely uh, God and that we had an actual relationship of love. And then along comes the voice of the tempter. Now, we don't know. There's different ways of talking to how this came about. But church tradition teaches that the voice of the tempter comes from the devil. Uh, a lot of people think that this was an angel, right, who was fallen, who was jealous of the glorious state of humanity. This was an angel who looked at Adam and Eve and said, my gosh, I wish I had that right there in the garden. And then therefore he uh, proceeded to tempt them, to try to lead them astray, to try to get them to disobey God in the beginning. Paul interprets this for us in Romans 5. He reminds us, he says, hey, here's the bad news. That through one man, sin came into the world. That's a bad deal. That's a bum hand. That's not something we all signed up for. It reminds us that none of us are exempt, and it reminds us that for much of our lives, even without realizing it, we follow Adam. If I'm honest many days, I would say Adam is the one that I'm following. I'm looking for Adam in the ways that I live my life. So what we needed was a savior, someone to interrupt that cycle, someone to reverse the curse of Adam, someone that we could follow, someone who was worthy of the glory that is within us and all that we could attach to someone worth following. So the question is, will Jesus be the one who can redeem our sinful nature? Can Jesus be the one who will restore us to the image of God? So let's follow him into the wilderness and find out. As Michelle read for us, Matthew chapter 4, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He's led by the Spirit of God. Right? Some scholars have speculated that this was a way of saying, you know, that the devil couldn't just freely come find Jesus. And he went, he went looking for the fight that he knew needed to happen. Right? So the Spirit of God leads Jesus into the desert and he is tempted by the devil. Now, just a few words on temptation, because it's easy to get off. And I hear these things all the time, and I struggle with them. One key thing about temptations is that no one is exempt. Uh, temptations to sin in the world are pervasive. No one escapes those. Uh, this is not to be confused with God's leading into difficult things. Um, God doesn't tempt us. God is not the one who tempts us. Sometimes the way that the English is translated in the Lord's Prayer, it makes us think like we say, oh, you know, God, don't lead us into temptation. But it's really a better way of saying that is, you know, don't let us fall into temptation when we are tempted. Uh, there are some church traditions that have changed the Lord's Prayer just because of that, because it's so confusing, because we start thinking, well, gosh, is God the one that tempts us? And we say, of course not. It's not God who tempts. Uh, it is the devil who tempts. And another thing about temptation, and this is just, you see this in the New Testament, you've experienced this in your life, but as our relationship with Christ grows and strengthens, so does the level 
and intensity and frequency of temptations. Uh, if the devil sees that you're relating to God and you're communing with God and you're sharing the life of God with others, he's going to see that as a threat. And therefore, he's going to tempt you into some distractions. If I'm just checked out and I'm not really living, I'm not engaged, then it's, you know, okay, that's less energy that the devil has to spend on me. So if you notice yourself more frequently tempted, it might be good news. It might be that there's a growth in your relationship with Christ. Jesus moves toward temptation. He faces the devil. It's a real fight, but it's nothing to shy away from. Temptation should not make us afraid as though there's not power within us to overcome those temptations. So Jesus would not want us to shy away from the fight. He would not want us to make too much of the devil. Uh, he would want us to face our temptations with courage because of the power of God that is in every single Christian and the power of God that is within the church. John Chrysostom was writing in the fourth century and he said, um, you know, and it's funny, the, the, this text has been the first text of the season of Lent for at least that long, fourth century. Um, I'm, I'm sure it was before that, but I read a sermon this week uh, by Chrysostom and he said, you know, the reason that we were given arms is to fight. <laughs> the reason that the power of God is Im implanted in our soul is so that we can fight, so that we can resist the temptations of the devil. All right. So on to Christ's journey into the wilderness. <clears throat> Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was very hungry. Uh, it's interesting, and in the, in there's a resurgence and a lot of research about intermittent fasting. You know, you see it's a real popular thing now to consider. If we fasted for long periods of time, would it be healthy for us? And uh, scholars again speculate that Jesus probably drank water while he was in the wilderness because uh, we don't hear that he was thirsty. We just hear he was really, really hungry. And so Christ goes into the wilderness. He's tempted by the devil. He's fasting. He's very hungry when he's finished. And the tempter comes to him and says, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, uh, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now Jesus didn't fast because he needed to. He fasted because he needed to show us. In his humanity, he needed to demonstrate that it was possible to uh, thwart the temptations of the devil. Jesus, being fully man, inspired just as we are by the power of the Spirit, he needed to demonstrate that it was possible to resist temptation. And so he did that for us, not because he needed to. And Jesus replies to the devil's first temptation, I think, with something like a, you know, devil, there are worse things in life than the death of the body. There are worse things in life than the death of the body. Uh, I remember a great quote from uh, Kevin Costner's character in the movie Open Range, and they're kind of having this existential conversation about life and death and all the things, and he leans over to uh, Robert Duvall's character, and they're just looking at the stars, and he says, you know, there are things that nag at a man worse than death. And... I think Jesus is saying that. He's just bringing us back to the core of saying there are scarier things than the death of the body. And um, he says, it is written. It is written. We do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Uh, Jesus is reminding us that we are supposed to tend to the hunger of our soul. What is it? that our soul most hungers for. Lent is a great time to pay attention to those hungers and those thirsts where we are longing 
for the living God. And we find that's why so many times the word of God is uh, described as living water. Uh, it's, it brings life to a parched land. The psalmist is always talking about how streams of, of water in the wilderness. So here Jesus is in the wilderness. Uh, he's hungry and he's saying there is bread devil that you've forgotten about. And that is uh, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. <clears throat> so what are we hungry for? The second temptation, uh, the devil comes and he says, okay, let's try this again. Took Jesus to Jerusalem, the holy city, the place where it was all supposed to happen, placed him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. He quotes Psalm 91. God will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. But Jesus says, again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not put God to the test. It's, this is where the devil is saying, all right, Jesus, if God is so great and there's so much power, let's see a little magic show. Right? Let's see some fireworks here. I like to see. I like to see what you can do. So I'm gonna put you up here. God says He promises in His Word He'll protect you. Uh, he'll command His angels concerning you. Well, let's see a little song and dance from the angels. All right, ready, go. Let's see how great it is. And Jesus just again, it's just like you can imagine Him just calmly saying. And, and I don't know. We we say this a lot, right? We we look for these things. We we all want at times the fireworks show. Right. I, and I hear it very often about, well, I was I was doing this or I was reading that I was working and it just wasn't doing it for me anymore. You know, it just it just got there just weren't enough fireworks. We hear that people talk about marriages, talk about relationships, about uh, all kinds of stuff, jobs. And that is just one of those deep lies of let's just see some fireworks or it's not the real deal. And Jesus just says, hey, look, this is not how this is going to work. All right. Uh, Jesus, it was important in God's economy of salvation for Jesus to overcome the devil on the terms of his humanity. Could God have just done that? Could he have put himself on display and just taken care of business? It was like the airstrike. You know, of course, he could have done that. But it was in God's wisdom, it was important for Jesus to come in fully man to begin reversing the curse of Adam. So it was important to resist the devil on the terms of humanity to bring you and I salvation. So Christ defeats the devil through the justice of the true man, not through some divine display of fireworks. And then the third and final temptation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And then the devil left him, and suddenly the angels came and waited on him. <clears throat> I was laying in bed last night, and I changed this last part of my notes because I was just thinking, you know, what the devil really wants the most is to threaten our relating to God. That's what is most concerning to the devil. He wants to draw us away from the living God. He wants to keep us from sharing in the life of God. That's job number one. It just drives the devil crazy 
when we experience God's life and when we share it with one another, when we're these fruitful vines and in the world and we're just bringing life to the world through the living God, it drives the devil mad, drives him crazy. And his, so his job, number one, is to try to stop that. Who will we worship? And I ask myself the question, what would I trade? What would we trade to have what we think is enough? That's the question of worship. Well, if I, if I have something I've identified, if I just have this in life, then that's enough. What would I be willing to trade for that? What would I sacrifice for that? What would I worship for that? Jesus calls us back to the core way of relating to God, right? Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Goes all the way back to that foundational thing that we teach our kids. The Lord your God is one, right? Worship and serve him only. Wrapping up this morning, I want to go back and pick up the first and second temptations. Did you notice in the first and second temptations how the devil started his question? How he started the temptation? If you are the son of God. All right. All right, big boy. If you're really the son of God, is that not crafty? If you're really the son of God, if you really have come through the baptismal waters and you've really been marked with the mark of the Holy Spirit, if you really are a son or a daughter of God, I'm going to hit you right there, right in the, in the root, right at the core of our belonging. The devil attacks us at the root of our life, at the point of our greatest treasure, which is our common adoption by God the Father. We have all been adopted. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And when the devil comes to tempt, that's the first thing he does. All right. If you're really the Son of God, if you're really belonging to God, because what just happened right before this? Jesus' baptism. It was Jesus' baptism we celebrated in January. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And immediately after that, the Spirit leads Christ to the wilderness. And so the devil just comes right for that core identity. All right, if you're really the son of God, then do this. If you're really the son of God, bread from stones. Jump off the pinnacle of the temple. Let the angels rescue you. Fall down and worship me and I'll give you everything. So we hear our own versions of all these temptations throughout our lives. And it sounds something like, oh, okay, you think Jesus is enough. Well, that's a great affirmation that you sang in church. But what about all those times that you've trusted God and things just didn't go the way that you wanted them to go? What about those times where you trusted God with this and it still fell apart? What about the times where you've entrusted your children to God and things happen to them, I mean, it that, that gets pretty tough pretty quick. So my prayer is that the life of God would well up in us once again, that the promise of God's residing within us and all around us, that it would give us confidence to resist all the temptations of the devil. For we have followed Adam long enough. I have followed Adam long enough. It's time that we follow the new Adam, 
Jesus Christ. It's time for Jesus to be enough. Amen.